Welcome back, you are listening to another episode of the Keep the Change podcast and we have got Ilsa Wolf back again after the debut episode that went nuts straight to the top of the charts, inspiring females all over the country. Good to see you. How about that for an intro? What an intro. Yeah. She's back. She's back. The wolf is back. Did they call you the wolf? Is anyone- Ooh. No? That's a good point, actually. Isn't there a wolf on the block? So I feel like I can't have oh, that yeah, one. Oh, dude. Yeah. What's his name? Wolf. Yeah, I'm not sure. The builder, isn't he? I think yeah. he watched a bit of block. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Shout out to Sam and Emmett, who won the block back in 2000. <laughs> I can't remember, but they did well. And they're great Palmerston North lads originally. So <laughs> right. hopefully they're listening as well, Sam and Emmett. All right. Anyway, hey, look, this isn't about them. This is about you. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about the sweet spot of property. Now, what is, to start with, the sweet spot of property? So, for me, the sweet spot is getting the best out of everything, all the benefits that I and probably every other investor wants out of property investing. So, uh, you know, I've grown up around a ton of education where, for the most part, the advice seems to be you have to choose a path and you have to choose between wealth or cash flow and, and passive income. I refuse to be told. It's like what we were saying on the previous episode. If someone says I can't, well, I'll definitely do it then. So um, basically the sweet spot for me is adding value uh, in a really targeted specific fashion um, to get the most out of a property. So I want to create as much additional equity or force that value appreciation in a short period of time so I get the best of wealth. uh, And I also manufacture really high cash flow returns off the original property so that it performs like a total superstar. And then if I copy and paste, I rinse and repeat and build a portfolio that way, I'm going to have an absolute rock star portfolio. And I've built that as fast as I possibly can because I've, I know what the, the outcome from each project is going to be, which means that I'm not being held back by waiting for market growth. I'm not being held back by having to wait five, six, seven years between every additional property. I want to be really active and turn a reno around in say six weeks, refinance, repeat, do it several times a year, as many income as many blocks of units as possible. So when you renovate and repeat, are you renovating, adding value and holding? Yes, so that's the thing is getting the best of time as well. Yeah. I want all the things. So, um, you know, it's you know some people love the idea of adding value to flip, which is awesome. You know, there yeah. are many different strategies and that, that suits some people. I'm more of the mindset that, you know, say I spend $50,000 on a renovation, uh, I can either A, flip that property, sell it, um, and maybe that, you know, maybe that 50,000 turns into 100,000, right? So that's that's great mm-hmm. for some people. For me, I would rather take that $50,000 gain, um, you know, take that $100,000 outcome, re-leverage with someone else's money, aka the bank or some lender uh, or some private money, uh, re-leverage that property and then get the next one. So now I have two. Meanwhile, now I have two properties in parallel for the long term, continuing to build multiples of 100,000 on each of them, right? So I'm acquiring more properties faster. Uh, I'm renovating them in a very short period of time to create higher cash flows, to 
basically work alongside me. I always think if I have three properties, it's like I'm in a relationship with three people. I've got my income and then I have three other rental incomes. So there are four of us working harder instead of one. Well, if people didn't listen to the first episode with Ilsa, they will now know that she is in a relationship with 32 uh, properties. <laughs> so you've, you've mastered the art of managing multiple relationships by the sounds. So there'll be some people that won't understand. So I'm just going to step back. Equity, equity is created by the difference between the value of a property and the debt in a property, right? Correct. So my property is worth 600000 My debt is 300000 I've got $300,000 of mm-hmm. equity. I can use that equity for leverage to help me with a deposit for a second property, mm-hmm. right? Correct. In the first episode, you talked about running into issues with servicing. Now, that is mm-hmm. a fancy term for being able to pay the mortgage, right? Mm, having enough income. Yeah. It's basically how much in- how much money do you make? So you could have a shit ton of equity, but the bank might say, well, sorry, you can't service these mm-hmm. loans, therefore mm-hmm. you can't have any more debt, right? That's a very, very common scenario. Yeah, is it? exactly. Yeah. Yes, right now. So uh, there'll be investors out there who think, oh, this is amazing. You know, I have a million dollar property. It's my home. I'm allowed to leverage that up to 80% or $800,000. Maybe their mortgage is only five hundred. So in theory, there's $300,000 of usable equity. So usable means up to what a bank will be allowed to give you. But you have to still have the income where in the bank size, they're comfortable to give you that $300,000 because they think, hmm, well, based on the money that Ilsa brings in from job or however, less her expenses, can she cover that $300,000 debt on a monthly basis? That's what they Mm. care about. Yeah. But also the rental income coming in if you're renting it out, is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. So um, all of that income comes into consideration, but the bank, without getting too nerdy too quickly, the um, the bank will shade that. So say the rent is 500 a week, then they're not going to, on paper, acknowledge that amount you know, banks are conservative. They're going to make it three fifty, for example. That was okay. So look at the five hundred coming in and say, well, we're not going to include that in our calculation. We'll include it as three fifty. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, just to step back again, so you get a property, and then you're going to renovate it. There's no money coming in whilst you're renovating it, right? Because people can't mm, live there. So correct. do you have to do your own calculations and stuff to make sure that you can actually... Yeah, so holding costs, that? right? Yeah, so I guess if you... Sort of going back a little step even further then. Um, so I guess, you know, talking about the sweet spot, the idea of trying to get best bang for buck, I guess is how I think about mm-hmm. it, is knowing that I need to satisfy the bank on two parts. One is that usable equity. How much capital can I lean against so the bank gives me more funds to buy another property? And the second part being they care about how much money I make. If I went out into the market, and for me, it's all about existing properties. There are two main benefits from existing properties that you cannot get if you have a new build strategy. So I think it's really important to make that distinction, actually. I love existing build properties. So houses built from the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, your classic weatherboard, older sub- suburbs out in the regional centres or, or cities. But where the two benefits you get are one, They've been around for decades, right? There's there's work to be done. You can reinvigorate them. You can paint the exterior weatherboards. You can re-roof. You can completely modernise the interior, either layout or refresh the paint, the carpet, the kitchens, the bathrooms. 
when they're, when you're done with that, the inside of that house looks like a brand new house, right? That looks like a new build. You've added value and you've improved the rental appeal of that property. So the first thing there is you've increased the cash flow return where before when it was an old dunger or had the old floral wallpaper was, prob- you know, for example, might have been $450 a week rent on the market. Now it's completely brand new inside. It might be worth $650, $700. So when you pay for a rundown property or an average property and you get more cash flow out of it, you're creating a better return. The other benefit is that the land is often developable. Um, You have to check the council plans for what you can do, of course, per every single site. But one thing you cannot do with a new build, once it's been already maximized by the developer, is subdivide that and put a second house on the back patio, right? So Mm. with an existing build, one, you renovate it to get a wicked return to help you buy more property. And then the second thing is, you could possibly either add a minor dwelling, which is like a two-bedroom house. Then you've got two rents off that same original piece of purchase for that, well, sorry, off that original purchase for that land. Or maybe you can even subdivide it into separate assets and build again. So there are many ways and many rounds of value you can create for yourself with the existing build properties. Okay, can we look at if this is possible? Say there's a couple listening to this and they've got a property. Now, they go on homes.co.nz or wherever you go to find out what your property's worth, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go, okay, so that's my value of my property. And then my debtors, they log into their bank and they get their debt and they go, okay, therefore my equity must be X, Y, Z. If they're not happy with that amount of equity and they want it to be more, then they've got two options. They can either pay down the debt faster, mm-hmm. which creates equity, mm-hmm. or they can increase the value of the property, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. do people do that? Do people often add value to their property, their owner-occupied, and go, right, let's increase the value and then use equity in this property to then get us going faster on our investment journey? Generally, I think what happens is by the time I meet with an investor, they've spent some time getting themselves ready to the point to get in touch. So there's probably usable equity built up in their house already and that's usually the point that they inquire at um, so normally no they're not adding value to their own some occasionally they may have done that previously but they're usually at the point of now they see they're ready and they want to know how to use it to their best advantage so okay. it's usually to form a deposit got yeah okay cool that leads me to then so then they can buy a second property so they go and they find something and now they pay 450000 for it, mm-hmm. but they have a mortgage of three fifty on it, if that's even possible at the moment. So they've got a hundred grand worth of equity in it. Mm-hmm. But they then go and do a stack of work and improve the value. Because I think a lot of people wouldn't actually understand that this is even possible. So then you go into homes.co.nz, but the value is still the same, but you've done all this improvement. You've mm-hmm. put the bird bath, well, you probably wouldn't put a bird bath in, but you know, whatever you do to add value to it, right? <laughs> Definitely not a bird bath. <laughs> okay, no bird baths, people. <laughs> Fuck the bird bath. It's the cost of a heated towel rail. What are you talking about? Oh, well, there we go. See, these are the sweet spots we need to understand. But what happens is you then ring or you get a registered valuer, is that right? And that's their mm-hmm. job to actually mm-hmm. value your property, not give yes. you some sort of generic... Yes. Homes.co.nz. I probably should stop saying them, but um, wherever people get the valuation from, yeah. right? So that's a great segue. So the, the reason that you would want the registered valuation from the valuer would be, you know, in terms of the methodology that I teach and that I deploy myself is, again, trying to get rinse the most 
return out of spending money on a renovation is to first of all buy the right property where there's a certain there's a certain layout and a size and a configuration of that floor plan I'm looking for that I help my clients look for and usually uh, well no every time if the property is correct uh, we can add internal bedrooms without needing to make any structural changes uh, within the house within the existing footprint and therefore it is adding a ton of value so say for example there's a I don't know an 80 square meter house that starts as a no that's not a bad example let's say for example there's a 90 square house which is pretty typical weatherboard house three bedrooms if it meets certain criteria that I've learned to see over time, I help my investor buy that property and they will turn that into a four-bedroom house, right? Yeah. So the homes.co.nz or whatever platform doesn't know you've done that, right? Mm. So um, the only way you can go about asserting that as a, a, a firm value is to hire a registered valuer who will come into the house. They will see that you've refreshed the paint, the carpet, you've upgraded the bathroom, the kitchen, um, you know, whatever needs to be done. But also part of that area, an area of the house was repurposed into a fourth bedroom. All of a sudden that property is worth a four bedroom house in that suburb. So they'll start to compare that property to four bedroom sales. So it can be the difference of, let's say to create that result, you may have spent $60,000 for a 90 square meter house. And that could mean a property um, in a key regional centre may change from a $450,000 property to a $600,000 or $650,000 property. That would be a very typical situation. Wow. So you've spent 60 Gs, but you've got an equity increase mm -hmm. on paper because you haven't sold it yet to realise it of, mm -hmm. say, dollars mm -hmm. $140,000 yes. around there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so if you are going to renovate, you would try and aim for at least a $2 return for every $1 of renovation. Coming now, hopefully into a growth stage, uh, that can increase to $3, $3.50, say. Okay, so then you hold that, you don't sell it, so you don't actually realise that equity, but now you can go back to the bank mm -hmm. And you say, hey, I've got this valuation mm -hmm. and it's increased in value because it's been compared to four bedroom homes and also it can be rented out. Mm -hmm. But that probably increases in the money coming in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now you have a property that uh, you is instead of, if you'd bought it and not renovated it, let's say it might be a, you know, this is you know really inside the numbers, but say 4% gross yield, you know, so that, uh, you know, that is what it is and say that's an average performing rental. But if you bought that... Sorry, same, oh. what does that mean? Because oh, there'd be sorry. some people that are like, what do you yes, mean a gross good point. yield? Yeah. So if we break that down, so what a yield, a gross yield is the, so say you have a weekly rent that might be $500 a week times 52, that gives you the annual rent. So you divide the annual rent by the purchase price or however much debt, depending on how you prefer, yeah. um, that gives you a yield. $26,000 divided by your debt. Yes, okay. correct. And that will give you like a probably most commonly, if you go onto Trade Me, you look for a property, you go to Trade Me Rentals and you see how much that type of property in that location would rent for at that same spec, it will probably end up being like a 4 or 5% gross yield. So yeah. annual rent divided by what you pay for the property. So what I want my clients to achieve is 8%, which is... Um, is challenging. You can't do that to every property, but when you hunt and you do the right things and follow the process, you can create that. So if you go back to the bank and you say, I have this 8% gross yielding property, I'd like to re-leverage it, please, and buy a second one, you're in a stronger 
servicing or a stronger position in the bank's eyes than if you turn up with that same property and you say, hey, can I please get that second property? This prop, this first one is performing at 4%, mm. which is the stronger scenario to give you the boost into the next one. And not only that, because you renovated and you increased the value of that property, you've formed more d- deposit, right? So you've actually improved the equity portion of that property so that you will be ready sooner to buy the next one. If you don't do that, you're waiting for however many years until that original property increases of its own right based on what's happening in its market. So if I was looking for a property and I really liked it and I'm showing you and you're mentoring me and there's a 4% yield, you're like, come on, Luke. This is we not, can do better. Yeah, this is not the property. This is not what I've mm-hmm. taught you to do. Yeah. yeah. And if it, equally, it, it may be, maybe we get halfway there and um, you start thinking, oh, what if I do this? What if I, what if I extend here? I'll go get building consent or I might go, um, I'll go a floor up. How about we do that? How about we put a fourth bedroom up by creating a second story? And things get really complicated. Mm. And then I'll turn around and say, well, hey, Luke, if there's a more straightforward, easier deal to be done down the road, Let's go do that yeah. because there comes a point when you're trying to flog a dead horse just to find the outcome. Yes, you could force it in a number of ways, but it's going to cost you time, money. Every time you involve the council, it becomes more costly, will take longer. Um, yeah, obvi- exactly. Yeah. And so the holding cost, which you mentioned earlier on, is the number of weeks uh, you have a property you're renovating. There's obviously no tenant in there. You have no cash flow coming in, but you still have to pay the bank because you've you've settled and you own that property, right? Mm. So you can factor that into your renovation spend. Make sure you've got cash to cover those weeks, which typically with me should be six or seven weeks. You factor that in. That's all. That's all gravy. That's fine. Um, as long as you have a plan, you can work towards that. And when you keep doing these. Do you eventually build a relationship with the bank where you're basically, you're not rolling into the teller anymore, being like, hey guys, just um, added $150,000 equity to this one, um, let's get the next one. Have you got a specific banker that you're dealing with? Gosh, usually you walk into a bank, there are no tellers, there are <laughs> computers and half the time they don't work. So uh, I'm not sure that's the ideal solution for yeah. someone who wants to accelerate their portfolio. But um, I would definitely suggest a broker, okay. um, depending on your unique situation your strategy, uh, how quickly you want to acquire properties. Uh, A a great broker will know with their relationships with various lenders, you know, main bank lenders, second tier lenders, whoever, they, uh, their job and their skills should be pairing your situation and you up with the right lender to get the best result, to keep you moving. Do you mind saying how much debt you've got? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to. It'll probably scare me to say it out loud. (laughs) I focus on the equity and then I can sleep. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, you hear that saying, you almost want to, owe so much to the bank that they then don't want you to fail. You know what I mean? Have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. better off being like a really good customer yeah. to them by having so much debt that God. they're like, shit, we need to support this person. Well, I remember, I mean, when I worked in one of the banks, you know, as I, you know, from the previous episode, when I first got into my light bulb moment to get into property, I was an analyst in the corporate team working with a relationship manager who had some serious heavy hitting clients. So we would, I remember if the mandate was go sell, you know, to the relationship manager, go get funds out the door. We would be calling up clients within the portfolio, taking them to lunch, seeing what we can do, what they need, and just agreeing it over lunch. Like that's nowhere 
how things happen now, yeah. um, I would yeah, 100% of the time go the broker because it's also in your interest to not have all of your assets tied up and in the control of someone else, right? Mm. The more control you can retain puts you in the driver's seat. Yeah, okay. So splitting the debt between multiple banks, is that what you're saying? I mean, I can't suggest it, but that's definitely a preference for myself. Okay. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, There are some really great strategies right now. So you mentioned the equity. So if you can't get more lending, I know that with my broker, he's been helping a lot of clients with almost the opposite. So say say you have four properties and four amounts of debt, and they're all with one bank. As long as the ratios and, again, the servicing stack up, you can request a discharge of one of those four if the remaining debt, so -hmm. basically let's say the bank is, you're asking for the bank to be left with three, uh, three properties of security. If you can fit all of the debt from the original four onto the value of those three, um, there is a strategy in removing that fourth property as a freehold asset to take that to a separate lender as your deposit for your next purchase. Yeah. So that's a separate way of trying to find a solution. And that's the thing. You have to, the more you build your portfolio, the larger your total amount of debt gets. It honestly becomes more a game of finance than property. I honestly, that's yeah. what I see for myself is yeah. it's, okay, what's the, next, what's the next way to slice and dice the portfolio from a lending standpoint to keep myself moving? You know, because yeah. you've got to con- constantly convince people that you're good for more money. Mm. Is the reason so when you talk about discharge, you're talking about basically, well, you you tell me, explain. But is that so that the bank doesn't then have security over that property? Correct. Yes. And what's the point Mm. of that? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, why do why do we do that? So to with that strategy. So how it can be really beneficial is, you know, say for example. You know, this is why I do for myself prefer a split bank strategy because if I have three properties and three different banks, uh, there are three different opportunities for lending if I'm looking to buy the next property. Um, If I, however, have one bank controlling all three assets or securities, they have far more say. And if one of them, well, if they say no, I have no second option and no third option. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Over time, as the values have grown, and if you haven't increased the debt against them, um, you'll come to a point where the the loan-to-value ratios are low enough that you may be able to combine all of the debt across fewer of those properties. Mm. Um, And the reason that's beneficial is that gives you a chess piece, that freehold property, so you release the security from that bank, you discharge it. So you own it, no one else you has a claim own it. against There's it. no mortgage. I think we think about mortgages as the loan. The mortgage is is, is a um is the hold, right? The mortgage is the bank has the right and the actually the ownership of that mm. asset until you've paid them back. Um so once the debt is off that asset, you can own that free and clear is another way of saying it. Yeah. Um, and you can take that down to another lender and you know, meet their servicing criteria, which could be different, right? Yeah. Um, and and put your case forward as to why you're going to go create this, uh, buy this next property. And hey, if you're going to create an 8% gross yield over a 4%, that again is going to look stronger. So you take your property down to them? <laughs> yeah. On Walk paper, it down the street? Yeah. And yeah. you say, I want to buy that um, property over there. Mm-hmm. And to give you comfort, I'll let you have this property as if my depo- shit hits the fan. As my deposit, right? Because you go, still need sweet. to stump up the 35%. So let's yeah. say that freehold property is worth 500000 Yeah. Um, they would take that 
full property as security and let's say you want to buy um, a million dollar property. So they'll um, technically, they're giving you a loan of 350, 35% against that $500,000 property, right? Yeah. And that is now them giving you the deposit money or funds that you can then go um, buy another property and get the 65% balance on the property you choose. Does that make sense? Let's start again from the top. So we want to buy a million dollar property, mm-hmm. but we've got it and we've given them 500 grand property. As so we've, as taken, we've walked into the bank with that. Mm-hmm. We've got like, here's our 500 grand property on yeah. paper. Yeah, yeah. We want the uh, the million dollar one, mm-hmm. but I want the I need some finance to go and buy that. Yes. Yeah. So what are like what? Yeah. Yeah. So they'll get? so they'll take the property. Yeah, like um, that's ours if this falls over. Yeah, they'll, they'll say I'll take that property, and they'll give you three hundred and fifty thousand against that property as the loan, and, yeah. you, and the, you're giving them the property to hold it against. Got, yeah. So that's their property. Yeah. And then you go and buy the. Millie. The million dollar property and the loan on that property is six hundred and fifty. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's quite common. Uh, most investors, I see at least, especially when they're in an active phase of building their portfolio, it is effectively it's one hundred percent debt. Right. The idea is to use other people's money, OPM. So with an existing property, that's thirty five percent deposit on a property you already have unless you have cash, right? Mm. Uh, and then the balance of 65 is on the new property. Yep. So it's uh, you know usually 100% debt to build build the portfolio. And of course, they're going to assess you as to whether they'll give you the money, but also can you meet the servicing requirements of this, yep. i.e. repaying? And they'll want loans. to know what the property is. You can't just go out and buy any property, right? Yeah, I see. Yeah. So <laughs> they want to know what say. the Millie property is. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, shit, I think I've taken us off tangent again <laughs> on the um, the sweet spot of property investing. But do different property coaches around the country, do they have different sweet spots and different things yeah. that they go after? Yeah, I think you know we all have different areas and different strategies. So again, it comes back to you. If you're looking to get started and you want help to fast track your success, uh, that's what you should be aiming for, to work with someone to achieve what you want much more quickly than we did. You know, we're kind of like the proud parent. Yeah. <laughs> that's the role, right? Um, so... Uh, yes, there are different strategies. So, you know, it comes down to your own risk profile. Are you averse to really risky things? Then probably I would say development is on the riskiest end because mm. it takes a long time, first of all, to get your plans drawn up and through council. And then the cost of build, the building, sorry, and then the building cost always goes up over time. Yeah. Did anyone ever hear of building costs go down? I don't mm. think so. So, the longer the period of the project and development would be the longest, your risk is so high. So if you feel like, oh, that makes me super uncomfortable, uh, it's probably not quite the right fit. Um, The way that I try to help my clients is have it pretty well packaged up in the sense that we calculate the post-renovation rent, we get third-party appraisals, we know, you know, I'm not saying, oh, this is what it will rent for. It comes down to data. You've got to back it with data to reduce risk. So if you're buying a property, I can guide you as to what's a reasonable price for that property in that location. And this is what it will rent for if you do nothing to it. But, you know, you can't be going out buying a property and not knowing the outcome after you're going to renovate it and spend 50, 60,000. So my job is to say, look, 
I can show you what the end result will be. We can get the other professionals around us and the builders and the property managers to tell you how it will land so that you know before you go unconditional, you buy this property 100%, you know exactly how it will perform for you and that reduces risk, right? If you, I mean, I started buying properties for myself, renovating, but not looking at the post-renovation rents. And I didn't even know what to do with that. So I got myself in the early days actually into a really, I was going to say a black hole, but it was a red one. I was deep in the red by renovating properties based on deposits rather than thinking about what the rents would be after I you know, added value. And I had at one stage I had three Auckland properties that I'd bought the three within six months. And if you think about the cost of this, I went from Remuera to Ellerslie to Greylin. Jeepers. <laughs> yeah, I can't even afford to drive through those three. <laughs> and the combined top up. So, you know, if we think about the cost of the interest on those three, yeah. then so let's say the rent comes in, the mortgage goes out, the mortgage cost going out was so much higher than the rents coming in because I didn't know what I was doing mm. that my top up per year, I was having to top up 55000 per year. So that's more than 1000 a week of my cash that I'd worked for, well, actually my fiance, um, <laughs> had to go uh, into making sure the bank was kept flat, right? The wow. account was kept flat. Yeah. So that is not a great way to do it because one, the, at the time, this is the other thing to consider is what's the environment that you're investing in? At the time, Auckland was completely flat to slightly decline. So I wasn't even getting a net result of, hey, I'm making all these hundreds of thousands of extra equity. Mm. In fact, it was slightly going backwards. So I had re-leveraged properties to buy another one only to have all those values come backward and I was also having to top up cash. So I was losing on both fronts. And that's like a really dangerous way to do things. Yeah. So unless you know what you you are doing, um, you really need to find someone with a strategy that fits with your profile and also how involved you want to be. Um, you know, I think there's a, an idea that if you renovate, you need to be on the tools. That's not at all the case. Like you should focus on the skill you want out of it. For most of my clients, that's me showing them how much to spend on the property, how much to spend on the renovation, how to anticipate and calculate the outcome of value as well as the rent. Yeah. And that in itself is a skill. If you can master that, you can turn it over, over, over. So that's the Burr strategy. You buy, renovate, rent, refinance and repeat to build a long-term portfolio. Um, and that means you're going to get the long-term benefits of capital growth over time. Plus, if you put it on its strongest footing through renovating in a really great way to have higher returns, um, you've kind of set it in a really strong, on a strong direction, right? Yeah. And when you had those three properties and things weren't going well and you were, in, you were looking at negative equity, I'd imagine, mm -hmm. uh, well, there's no growth there and you're having to top it up, your back must have been against the wall in some regards, right? Were you, did you have any self-doubt around, shit, I don't actually you know, know if I've got what it takes for this. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, sure. This was, this was the first three properties I went full-time into. So when I decided I'm going all in, you know, yeah. I know what I'm doing. I'll go renovate. I'll mm. form a deposit. <laughs> um, it was terrifying. I um, The Greyland house was for us as a home and we ended up moving out to rent it just to alleviate some of the cash flow yeah. um, very lucky I could move in my, my partner and I we could move into my in-laws because they had a separate granny flat yeah. so we did that for two years to climb out of that negative gearing hole um, and that takes time too so you can slip up pretty quickly and every consequence is that it will take you oh gosh months 5x longer to get out of it 
do you think that's why a lot of people don't ever take that first step because they're so scared of doing it wrong? I think so. And also in the media, there is so much commentary about how difficult it is to get in mm. that I think we've also, especially for the younger, you know, the, the 20, 25 year olds coming through, have heard that so much over their last five, 10 years, right? Um, that they probably have a self-limiting belief that they'll ever be ready. That's what I get concerned about. Yeah. Um, in fact, up at um, up at Lighthouse a few months ago, we ran a women and property event, and we p- specifically called it and property. You didn't have to own a property to come. It's come and get all the education and find your like-minded females, like women. Um, and one of the most surprising takeaways that I took was that based on sharing my story and starting at 22 and how I went about it, The next day I had a one-on-one call with one of the women who attended and she said, I had no idea that I was ready to start right now, but after I heard what you said and your story, I went back, sat down, worked out my financial position and actually realized I'm, I'm ready to go. So the next day, which was Saturday, she went to every single branch of every bank that was actually open on Saturday and got a pre-approved, well, submitted for a pre-approval from each of them and literally kicked into gear. So that was the coolest thing is that some people are out there, you're probably out there listening, thinking you can't start, but possibly you can. And if you want to, then the most important thing you can do is go and ask the question. Like my mum would always say, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? No one's going to hand it to you. So you've got to go and ask the questions. And then even if you're not ready, have your advisor or have a banker tell you, hey, you're not quite there, but if you take these steps, this is how you can ready yourself. Go do that. That's still moving you in the right direction. Yeah, so when you say ask, you mean, you know, go and ask the banks, for instance, hey, you know, what could I borrow? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, the worst thing that you come out with is they say, hey, look, you need to increase your lending, your, you need to increase your income by 30,000 or you need to get another 20,000 mm. usable equity, but at least you know where you are. Yeah. And then you know where you need to get to. It's interesting. I can vividly, I've heard Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so many times explain how he would go for borrowing and if he got a no, he would try and learn from them, what do I need to show you to get a yes? yes. Show me what the numbers need to look like and then yeah. he would go away and work on those mm-hmm. numbers. And I think people assume that means that he'd go away and manipulate the numbers. I think he then learned, okay, I need to get my income up or I need to get this debt down or these expenses down and then they're going to say mm-hmm. yes and I get to go again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, it's yeah, what, what do I need to change? What levers do I have at my disposal? Mm. Um, or what resource do I have to change my situation? If you don't ask the questions to find out where you are, for a, first of all, and then where you need to get to, how can you put any action plan in place? Like for me, every time I would get a no from the lender, you know, in that first instance was, yes, you have usable equity, but you have tapped out based on how much income you have. So I remember going back, putting all the properties in an Excel spreadsheet, thinking about them physically, visiting each one of them to think, what could I do? You know, um, how do I look at this Excel every time? Every time I look at it, I decided I would tweak something. Yeah. Either I had to get income up or I had to get an expense down. So if that meant, hey, I'm going to have all of my insurances reviewed, if I can save a few hundred a month, that's a that's a huge change, right? Mm. And then also if I can say, oh, look, I haven't increased or reviewed the rent on this property for a couple of years, there's probably $30, dollars $50 um, a week there, right? So understanding what you need to increase or decrease and making baby steps towards that um, is actually the best way to create change, right? It's gradual and it becomes habitual and then you're consistent 
Yeah, you're basically reverse engineering what it is you're trying to achieve and then you've got a bit more clarity around, okay, well, we need that to happen. So mm-hmm. then it sort of gives you that boost to go, right, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to yeah. up the rent or whatever it is that you're sort of, oh, I'm scared sending that review or, yeah. you know, and I think that's applicable for all of us, not just in property investing. What about, I'd imagine there'd be so many people that would invest and they'll be too scared to because they are afraid of risking the equity in their property that's basically for a lot of Kiwis it's it's what they're working towards it's their you know that's their yeah. pathway it's basically the what as we talked about in the first episode the get mortgage free that's the financial goal for a lot of Kiwis yeah. but then I think people graduate past that and they're like okay there's got to be something a little bit more to it than this what is that but mm. do you think that it stops a lot of people and it's would you say I'm, there's risk involved in everything so I'm not saying that doing what you're doing doesn't have risk but do you think that some people overestimate or uh, think that the risk is higher than what it actually mm. is yeah I, I think as you were describing that I can hear a lot of investors say, you know, have repeated a lot of their versions of that story to me. And um, sometimes it comes down to where they're taking the advice from. You know, there's that classic story of if you're talking around the barbecue about property, you know, who's giving you that advice? Mm. Don't invest here or buy this property. You know, who is that advice and what's the basis of that that idea? Um, And also sometimes you hear a really horrible, painful story where someone lost a ton of money in a property deal and then they never went back in. And that becomes their their self-fulfilling story, right? So once they start sharing that, that becomes more real and that's the only version that someone else then hears about property. Mm. But the same is true for any asset class, right? If you're going to try and make a gain, there has to be some risk inherently involved in that. So I guess, you know, making sure you seek advice from the right people. Definitely see a financial advisor because it may be that there's something outside of property Mm. that better fits. Um, And it comes down to, first of all, knowing what your goals are um, and also the timeline that you're setting yourself for the goal. An advisor will help you work out if that's actually realistic or not. Um, I've met with people who have said, oh, I want 50 properties in five years. I mean, that's awesome. Everyone does. Um, But what's your path? Um, So... Uh, you know, having something that's realistic where someone can actually chaperone you along in that journey is really important. And that could be your mortgage advisor, right? Uh, Because they've got the calculators at their disposal too. How many deals are there out there right now? How many deals? There are deals, there's money to be made in every market. So there's a combination or an element of what is the stage of, you know, what stage of the, the cycle is that market in? And I'm not talking New Zealand. I'm talking it could be, you know, within you know say in New Plymouth or Invercargill like within a market within New Zealand um, and then even within a portion of the town right so it could be at the suburb level you need to understand what's going on in a specific location you know is it in growth stage is it stagnant is it stagnant at the top is it stagnant at the bottom Um, and what's the demand like who wants to live there and why Mm. and if you can tap into those insights and find that oh gosh hang on I can see that there've been a ton of properties here. I've got lots of sales um, for three bedroom houses and they've been selling for 450,000. Oh, hang on a minute. This one's advertised at, I don't know, 
probably doesn't happen that often, but you know, if you can secure a price less than that, you're you are making money in into the deal. And that helps you on the the back end. So let's say you renovate that property. That initial boost you've won going in is going to help. So that's extra money you've you've made. Yeah. But you have to have your eyes open and look for it. And equally there are strategies that won't work. You know, if you're if the um, Auckland market, which is very, very expensive to buy in, if you're looking to flip and it's the peak of the market and you can't sell for what you want and each and each month the price or the value of that house is coming down, that's probably not the right strategy for that time. I'm sure there'll be people that are thinking, why do you do coaching in this space? Why don't you just go and do all the deals yourself then? What is the... That's the skeptic, right? What is, oh, what right. is the uh, what is the answer for that Kiwi? Yeah, so oh, good question. Yeah. Who's thinking that? Um, so the thing is, this sounds so cheesy, but you know, one property could be a yes for someone and a no for someone else, and yeah. more. You know, actually, every time the the investors who are starting out and they're looking for their first or second or third property, the properties that I'm helping them secure, firstly, are you know they're different from what I'm looking for for myself. That's just pure numbers and the type of property and and competency level, I guess. Um, first of all, if a client was looking at a property, I'd never steal it from them anyway. Yeah. What kind of human does that? Um, but it comes down to your criteria, right? Mm. So um, coming back to that, there might be a property that performs really well for someone and it's exactly what they're after. Um, maybe it is a 4% gross yield property, but it's like a triple subdivision and ultimately they want to put three townhouses on there or whatever that's cool that fits what they want for me that's not what I want so that's where I would see that property and I would not think that's a deal for me nice yeah because I think there's people that look at you know online gurus or coaches or things and think well you know why Mm. why do you have to do this if Mm. you um and you know I fall into that effectively because in my accounting practice we help businesses Mm -hmm. scale up Mm -hmm. and grow and whatnot yeah and people probably look and think well what you know why to you know, yeah. why don't you just go and why don't you just build your own business? But, you know, you're kind of doing right. it at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about with you, but I get the, whether it's my deal or a client's, I get, I get the same level of dopamine. Like mm. I get so revved up. I just went to this block of units this afternoon for a client who lives in Japan. And um, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Like at the moment, I'm not looking to spend the money on something like that either, but I still got just as excited because I walked in, I thought I can do this, this and this. I can take it from a $2 million property. We can probably turn it into a $3 million property. This is what we're going to do. It's awesome. I get to see someone benefit from that and then yeah. and then the faces when they go, wow, they look at the end result on the other end. That, that gets me just as excited. I feel excited describing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, it's really great because it's it's sort of passing the baton on and the most rewarding part of that is seeing an investor do it well. Mm. And like you say, there are some, you know, negative Nancy stories and definitely genuinely people have, have lost money for many very, you know, it's, that's really sad to lose that money. But um, it's it's a benefit to be able to see someone do it really well. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great story that should be shared. Yeah, and I mean, it's exactly like the person who contacted you that is now ready, didn't realise they were ready and now they you've sped up their journey. Journey mm-hmm. from might do that one day to whoa let's get mm-hmm. started to going to the bank to then hey yeah. you know help me figure out how to yeah. do this and do it faster and do it right and you yeah this yeah. I don't think there's much better feeling than that in seeing people oh, get closer to their goals totally and um and another version that popped into my head then what I love is someone comes to see me and they say oh I really really want to do your strategy but I have this you know other property that definitely doesn't fit and it's still under bright line I need to wait till April right when it's April I'm going to sell that property I'm going to get the cash and then we can do what I really want to do with you and 
you know, you own, you're limited by what you know and what you don't know, right? So mm. what I love is that I can take that scenario and it's that, that whole idea of, oh, if they say you can't do it, I'll, I'll find a formula for it. I'll find the answer. Yeah. So I'll say, okay, well, you know, go back to your broker, challenge them and say, you know, how can I make this work? Even if it's for the five months bridging to that April period, um, surely getting that, that second asset if we can find an option to do that, you can still be moving ahead. They're going to check that you can accommodate the two deals at once, et cetera. But if a market is increasing, would you not benefit from buying that second property now at the lower dollar and then get the best of both because then you're going to add value to that. In parallel, the property that you know you want to sell, you're actually holding that for a bit longer, making some more cash off it. It's going to sell at a better price. Meanwhile, it hasn't held you back from what you want to do. So as long as you have an advisor that can see that it's going to work for you, then you don't necessarily have to be held back. It's just what mm. you know or you don't know. That holds you back. Mm. Yeah, nice. So what is then the sweet spot for people to potentially work with you? Is there a way that you can summarize who looks like an ideal client to go through the coaching and things like that? Mm. I would, if I thought about a persona, uh, what I see a lot of is it's that light bulb. They've had that light bulb moment that, you know, they might be pretty happy with their jobs. Usually there's a life change that's about to occur. They're either settling down, you know, come back from the OE, yeah. uh, accepting some extra responsibilities or they're pregnant or they have their first child or they're planning to have a first child. Um, most commonly, the first child's been born, they realize how much more valuable their time is and where they want to spend their time, which is usually not in someone else's office. Yeah. And that's the that's the penny dropping. Mm. Um, so they'll come to me and they'll say, look, we, we have a home or mum and dad are going to help us out. How can you help us get the best first property? So either it's going to be their own home, I help them renovate it to turn it into what they want. That still adds value, right, that they can leverage again um, but more commonly they have their home um, and they're trying to find a second avenue or a second long-term wealth or income stream that is outside of the office so that's basically who comes to see me and they've worked out that it's a steady you know um, it's a steady wins the race they're not looking for a fast win yeah. they're looking to build strong assets that they want to hold for the rest of their lives and usually it's to give them to their kids Nice. Yeah. They they want to find something where it's a guaranteed or they know that they can win if they do it correctly and yeah. do it well. And do it long term. Rather than the quick yeah. win bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if they learn and the thing is it's incredible how much you learn in one burr, you know, mm. one renovation project. Um, it's incredible when you see the the night and day contrast as well. Like you know, they find their feet after the first one and they fly on the second one. Very common for my clients to have two rental properties within a year wow. um, and they find their feet. The best outcome is that I do myself out of a job, right? Yes. They should be like, I'm so all over this. I know it all. Don't need you anymore, yeah, right? Nice. Then, they, yeah. then they build and that's that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so how do people find more about what you're doing? Cool. So uh, Wolf Property Coaching on Instagram uh, has some content there. There's also a bunch of links with either recent podcasts uh, <laughs> or um, upcoming events. Um, through my website, they can inquire for a 15-minute call, which is available absolutely all the time. Just jump on the website and inquire. Um, happy to jump on phone, understand your situation, connect a few dots, and then uh, draft up a plan that could work for you. And you can take that to your advisor, and we crack on. Smash goals. Epic. So Wolf with an E. 
Yes. Right, there mm. we go. So if people are searching for that. Wolf Property Coaching on Instagram. Website is? Wolfproperty.co.nz. Oh, shoot, is it? Yeah, better, we'll just <laughs> have, <laughs> better just quickly check is it, it. Is it coaching? <laughs> check it. We can get no, the edit. it's wolfproperty.co.nz. Uh, I'm going to ask again. I'll ask for the edit. Oh, <laughs> shit. Uh, it's probably bad, isn't it? Um, no, that's all right. <laughs> Just the website bit? Uh, yes, I'll yeah. just say. And so the website? Wolfproperty.co.nz. So that's wolf with an E, property.co.nz. You can inquire through there and look forward to hearing from you. Easy as that. Well, thank you for your time over both of these episodes. I hope that people go back and listen to the first one again. There were so many nuggets in there, especially if they haven't listened to the first one. Two awesome episodes. Thank you so much. Ilsa Wolf from Wolf Property Coaching. We'll have to get you back in and find out what people are doing out there in the market in 2024. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Will do. Oh,